Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. In the fourth week of a series called The Bible. Would you say it with me? The Bible. One more time. The Bible. And we've been looking at how at the start of this series we talked about how uh, they did a survey and Christians are reading their Bibles less and less. And so what we said here at Elevation was uh, we want to be a church where we're reading our Bible. So we want to try and reverse that trend. So let's do a series to talk about the Bible and how important it is for us. The main thought from week one and really the whole series, what we've been looking at is this. You will encounter God through the Bible consistently over time. What we said was, if you would read your Bible, not just for a short amount of time, uh, not just for a little bit, but if you would read it consistently over time, you will encounter God in the book of the Bible. Week two, we looked at how a good authority will make us do things we don't want to do because they want us to grow. If there's anyone here, well, we've all been kids, right? And we had an authority over us called our parents. They got us to do things we didn't want to do. Does anyone remember that? Some of us maybe still remember that. My children are in here this morning. And, and, but the thing is, a good authority will make us do things we don't want to do because they want us to grow. I'm here to tell you today, the Bible, when you read it, there's some things in there that we don't want to do. There's some behaviors, some attitudes, some thoughts that it challenges, that actually convicts us about. And we like rebel against God. But if we would listen to that good authority, we will grow in our lives. Uh, week three, our thought was, who is this God and can we trust him? We looked at the story of, of, the, of the stories in the Bible, how there is this thread woven throughout the Bible, revealing who God is and letting us know that we can actually trust God. And so over this time, we, uh, we said that let's not just read the Bible for knowledge, let's read it to encounter God. And we actually, together as a church, we did a four-week Bible reading plan. Hands up if you were involved in that. You did that. That's fantastic. You know, if you didn't, you know what? That is fine. There is still time available either this week, next month, next year. There's a reading plan that you can download four weeks of reading. It gives a great overview of the Bible. Our prayer is that in this series, that as we consistently read our Bible, we're going to encounter God. Because there is what you need to know. When you encounter God, guess what? Your life is transformed. Your life is changed in a powerful way. As He comes into your world and changes you, you'll see amazing, mighty work in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the Bible. As we read, it reveals so much about you, your character. Uh, it tells us of your promises. It reveals your plan, Jesus, that was always to come for us. Uh, it reveals your church, God. And so we thank you today as we meet here that we encounter you, Jesus, in your mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, I'm so glad I'm in church this morning. I've been bringing uh, Bibles that I have every uh, week of this sermon, uh, sermon series, and today I've brought in my NIV study Bible. This is the biggest Bible I've got. Like, if I throw this at someone this morning, you're going to wake up, or maybe you're going to go to sleep. <laughs> it depends on how it hits you. Uh, but this is a great Bible. If, you've, if you want to like get a little bit deeper into the Bible, a study Bible is amazing. It's got 
uh, references for every verse, gives little bits of information, uh, tells you what uh, the context might be or, or little bits of information. Uh, at the start of every book, tells you about who wrote the book, who the audience was, goes into this, uh, the structure of the whole uh, book of the Bible. It, it, it's a great Bible to have, the, the study Bible. So if you want to get a study Bible, I recommend the NIV uh, study Bibles. If you buy it at uh, Kurong, use the coupon code Bronson Blackmore. I get a... T- no, I'm joking. I get a 20%. No, I'm joking. Uh, but earlier on, I talked about how there is the one-year Bible. It's a reading plan where you just turn to the day of the, of, of the year, so September 23rd. That's a great day. That was on Friday. Uh, that was my birthday. The presents must be in the mail. <laughs> no. But you can turn to the day of the, of the year and you can read it there today. Who, would want, who wants this one-year Bible? Who wants it? Come on. Someone say yes. Okay, Steve, you got it, man. <laughs> Wow, who knew it would be so hard to give away free things? That's yours, Steve. Give Steve a big clap. Hope you enjoy that, Steve. That's how I read my Bible every day. It's a great way to read. Hey, have you ever discovered that a quote or a saying that you had been using yourself or that you'd heard someone say was actually never said or was incorrect? Have you you ever discovered that? Let let me give you a few today. Uh, What about this one? That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Do we know that? Do you know who said that? Neil Armstrong, he said that. Well, no, he didn't say that. This is what he actually said. That's one small step for a man, a man, one giant leap for mankind. Oh, you guys are all like, oh, my world is all falling to pieces now. What about this one here? Um, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Do we know that one? Who says that? Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. Well, she doesn't. She actually says this. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Doesn't sound the same, does it? What about this one here? Let them eat cake. Do we know who says that? Yeah, Marie Antoinette, uh, you know, in the French Revolution, oh, let them eat cake. Well, she never actually said that. Uh, I did some reading. What actually was, there was a book called Confessions, written 11 years before she supposedly said that saying, which actually, actually had this in it. And guess what? It doesn't even say, let them eat cake. It says, let them eat brioche. I mean, <laughs> let them eat brioche. It doesn't have the same ring, does it, as let them eat cake. And then finally, this is one that we probably have all heard uh, before. Money is the root of all evil. Have we heard that saying before? While in Timothy, it actually says the love of money is the root of all evil. Loving money is the root of all evil. So that's another one for us today. You know, it's easy to misquote people, uh, to misunderstand what they've said, to attribute statements to them wrongly. And uh, I know that this, this, is ha- this happens to me a lot. Like nothing that I say here is ever misquoted wrongly because I don't think anything I say here is ever re-requoted again, <laughs> okay? But at home, when I'm with my family, I'm talking to my family, they always say that I said something I didn't say. Like, I'll just be sitting there and I might say something like, oh, can you please pass me the chocolate milk or something like that? And my family will say to me, no, you just said that you want to have um, scrambled eggs and three-minute noodles. I'm like, I didn't say that. It happens all the time. They say that I say things. They get what I said wrong. I can't believe that. You know, it's easy to 
misquote the Bible as well. It's easy as we are reading the Bible to misunderstand, to misquote, to attribute uh, incorrectly what has been said in a verse or in the passage of Scripture. And today I want to look at something, and today was going to be a little more of a uh, teaching sort of preach, but today I want to look at something that's called context. Would you say it with me? Context. What's context? Well, there's two uh, meanings of context. And when you read the Bible, it's extremely important. Here's the first one. Context is the circumstances that form the setting for an event, statement, or idea, and in terms of which it can be fully understood. And then there's a second meaning uh, of context, which which is this. The parts of something written or spoken that immediately precede or follow a word of passage and clarify its meaning. You know, when it comes to the Bible, the church and Christians, unfortunately, have been misquoting the Bible for so many years, decades, centuries, millennia. I mean, not at Elevation Church, but at other churches. That You know, as Christians, we often misquote Scripture because we get it out of context. Uh, We do it. Unbelievers do it. The world does it as well. They know scripture verses and they use them, but they use them out of context, not in the correct way that they were meant to be used. And so I thought that in a series on the Bible, I thought it would be important for us to look at how as we read the Bible, it is important for us to understand the three different types of contexts that there are as we read scripture. And so uh, today, if you're taking notes, write these down. The three main contexts we use to consider when reading the scripture, if you're taking notes, are these. Number one, we consider the historical context. Say it with me. Consider the historical context. Uh, Every passage of scripture was written within a historical context. Every single passage of scripture. So that means that every verse, paragraph, every chapter... Uh, every book, you know, every, every section, they're part of Old Testament, New Testament, was written within historical context. And that means that we need to consider who the author was and who the audience is. Historical context talks about who was the author and who was the audience. In Deuteronomy 1.1, it says this, These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness of Jordan. So the author was... Moses and the audience was Israel. The context is Moses wrote it and the Israelites was who it was written to. The first five books of the Bible called the Torah or the Pentateuch, uh, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy were written by a man called Moses. And the audience of those five books is the Israelites. So as you're reading those books of the Bible, it's actually speaking to the Israelites. Like if we read those passages of Scripture... They're not actually speaking to us, modern day Christians, they're speaking to Israelites back in that time. Now we can infer meaning from them definitely, but that's who the audience was. It was to those people. And so as we read it, we say, what is Moses trying to say here to his audience who are the Israelites? What is Moses trying to describe about the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? What is the significance that Moses is trying to uh, let the Israelites know about these people, about the patriarch? And so then we go into the, the New Testament and we have the book of Matthew. It was written by Matthew and its audience was Jewish Christians. So that means that as he writes it, he will talk about things that Jewish Christians will understand that perhaps Gentile Christians won't. 
because that's his audience, Jewish people. Uh, the other Gospels, Mark and John, were primarily written to Gentile Christians. So the way that they write that mess, that book, is written to that audience. Then we have Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, books that are written by Paul. Those are written to uh, Gentile believers. We've got Hebrews in James are written to Jewish Christians. Then there are some other books that are not written to a group of people. They're not written to a, 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 a church or a large gathering of people. They're written to individuals, a single person. And so did you know that the gospel, um, just let me make sure, Luke, the gospel of Luke, do you know that was written to one person? If you read the book of Luke, you're coming up to chapter 1 of Luke, you'll read it is addressed to a single person, just like the book of Acts, addressed to one person, just like the book of Titus and Timothy and, and Philemon. Those books are written to individuals. So we have different authors, different audiences, people from the Old Testament, Israelites. We've got New Testament Jew, Jewish people, New Testament uh, Gentiles. We've got New Testament individuals. So when we read the Bible... We need to understand the historic context that it's written to an audience and it's written by a specific person to help them understand. And so as we read it, we say, who's this original writer? That's where a study Bible is good. Or you can do another thing, you know, just Google who wrote this book. That's why it's good to know who wrote this. Okay, it was Moses. Who wrote this? Okay, it was, you know, Isaiah. Or who wrote this? Okay, it was this David or some other person. And who is the audience that they are trying to write to? Because when you write something to a specific audience, you write it in a different manner. For instance, today I'm, I'm doing a preach. I'm going to write this entirely differently than the way I write a presentation during the week that I give to my boss. Correct, right? So I'm going to customize it. And so that's what these, scripture, that's what these books of the Bible have done. So number Number one, we need to consider the historical context. Number two, we need to consider the cultural context. Say it with me, cultural context. Great, cultural context. Every book is written within a cultural context. The, cult the cultural context refers to the period of time that it was written in. It refers to the, uh, the empire that it was underneath, the religious background of the people of the time, the societal norms and customs of the people of that time. And so some uh, cultural contexts that we might talk about this morning, a couple of them are, uh, you know, some things that people bring up about the Bible. For instance, people bring up about the Bible, how in the Old Testament, it's, it's very violent. Like there's a lot of wars and there's a lot of campaigns and there's a lot of deaths and, you know, chopping off heads and all kinds of things like that, right? And that's, people bring that up. Hey, the Bible is so violent. Well, the cultural context of the Bible was uh, uh, informed by the historical period that it was in. And I want to let you know something. In antiquity, there was a lot of violence, <laughs> Like we, so we read in scripture culturally what was going on at the time because of the period of time was written in. So don't be surprised in the Old Testament when there's campaigns, when there's empire, when there are deaths and things like this. Not that we glorify them, but that was what was going on in every nation of the world in existence of that time. In fact, historically, the last 80 years have been the only period of time where it has been relatively peaceful. All of history has been within a cultural context of war and violence and all those types of things. And so, uh, praise God, we live in a relatively peaceful time right now. 
another example of, of cultural context uh, that is also oftentimes uh, called out in the, in the Old Testament is the topic of slavery. And I think we'd all agree, slavery, not a good thing. Uh, I think we'd all agree, slavery, not a good thing. Can we get a few yeses this morning, please? Uh, uh, you're going to have to go home and sell your get rid of your slaves today, guys. I shouldn't joke about something like that. But, but the societal and cultural context of the times in the Old Testament, you know, people have an issue with the slavery in the Old Testament, was this, culturally, slavery was rampant throughout the whole world. And you can get down on the Bible because it talks about slavery, but I want to let you know something. Culturally, every single nation subjugated, enslaved every other nation. And so the Bible was written in a period of time where that happened. And so culturally, it mentions it. It talks about it. And here's the thing that we need to realize, and I'm not in any way an advocate for slavery. No, not at all. But in the Bible, when you read the law of Moses you actually discover something quite incredible. Uh, the, 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 the law of Moses and the way it described how slaves were to be treated and how they were to be looked after was miles ahead, like light years ahead of modern slavery. Light years ahead. You know, we think that we're more enlightened now, you know, two or three hundred years ago than antiquity, but it was miles ahead. See, in the scriptures, if you read the passage of scripture, it talks about how Every six years, they had to release their slaves. They had to set them free. I mean, you don't see that happening in modern times of slavery. And then we advance through the years and we get to the 1700s and the 1800s and the 1900s. And we see the abolition of slavery, even though there is still slavery occurring in the world today. But we see people start standing up and talking against it. And do you know the reason why? Because Christians, men and women, informed by the New Testament, where Paul talks about slavery and he introduces this radical idea. He says that neither Jew nor Gentile, neither master nor slave are any different in the eyes of the Lord. He introduces this new concept that, hey, everyone is equal in God. And from those passages of Scripture, modern men and women say, hey, let's end this thing called slavery because God sees people as equal in the eyes of himself. Let me give you another example of cultural context and how it can help us shape a better understanding of Scripture. In Revelations 3, there's a passage where, where, God, uh, where, where John writes about a revelation that he has, you know, some dreams and uh, uh, some angels and Jesus speaking to some churches in these different areas. And these are uh, symbolic of churches in general, but they're also real. They were real churches in the time, uh, in the first century. And um, in Revelations 3, 14, uh, it writes this, To the angel of the church in Laodicea, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Uh, it says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. The Laodicean church Jesus says in this passage, you're not hot or cold, you're lukewarm, so I'm going to spit you out. And, 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 and as we read that today, 
if we don't understand the cultural context, we read it and we see this as like symbolic. There's some, you know, symbolic, oh, he's using hot and cold. Okay, that's interesting. But if you were there at that time, if you lived in Laodicea, you would actually understand it. And here's why. There were two cities nearby. The first city was called uh, Hierapolis. Polis. Don't quote me, Hierapolis. It was six miles to the north. You can go home and Google all this stuff. This is legit. This is true. Fact check me. Uh, five, uh, five or six miles to the north. And they had hot water, like boiling hot water that came from uh, hot springs. Okay, And that water was good for uh, medicinal, medicinal purposes and stuff like that. And then there was another town uh, called Colossae. And it was 10 miles to the east. And it had water that was cold like really cold it came from mountain stream it was great for drinking and for for being refreshed and so these towns are the hot and the cold now have a guess what kind of water Laodicea had they had lukewarm water like look it up today go home and google it they had water that was that was lukewarm it was unclean it was tepid it was useless water and so Jesus when he says he says your spiritual life is just like your city's water supply it's lukewarm it's good for nothing uh, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth see when we understand some of these other things it brings greater context it brings greater memory. It's like, oh, God's not just being symbolic. He's actually using real life examples that the people in that church would have 100% known, knowing what he was speaking about to bring extra meaning to this scripture verse in Revelation 3. It's not just a cultural reference. Sorry, it's a cultural reference, not a spiritual reference. In fact, if we use literary context, which we're going to talk about next, we'll see that the issue was something else, not the hot or cold. So thirdly, we consider the literary context. If the kids could come, that would be great. Literary context. What is literary context? It is this. It's reading something, not in isolation, but reading it in the greater context of the words, paragraphs, and chapters that precede or follow a text. Okay, so what that means with the Bible is that when we, when we read the Bible, we read the verse, but we also read the paragraph that the verse is in and the chapter and the book as well. So today, if you're, if you're reading the Bible and you get to a verse, or you open your Bible and you're at a verse and you don't understand it, what do you do? You need to enlarge the area that you're reading. Read the paragraph of Scripture that the verse is in. If you still don't understand what it's saying after you read the paragraph, then go a little bit further out. Read the chapter. Okay, what's this chapter saying? If you still don't understand what the chapter's saying, hopefully you're not in the book of Psalms, but read the book. What's this book talking about? You know, find out. What's the historical context? Who's the author? Who's the audience? Is there any cultural context that I need to understand? Get a study Bible. It'll tell you at the start of that book, this is what this book is trying to hone into. This is what it's addressing. All those types of things, uh, it can help you out. Let me give you an example today. Uh, Galatians 5.1. We're just going to... I was reading during the week, my daily readings, and I read this verse, and so we're going to pick on this verse this morning. Galatians 5.1, it says, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Okay, so if you read that verse in and of itself, 
it, it really like doesn't have a lot of sort of like meaning or context in and of it by itself, right? So it's like, okay, God has made us free and, and let's try not to get slavery in the law again. Now, if you know the Bible, the law, there, there were like hundreds of laws. There were lots of commands. There were all these customs, like 600 of them we tell us. So, okay, there's 600 things that we've got to not get into slavery, right? And so it's like, okay, what is, what is actually being talked about here by Paul? So what do we do? With literary context, if we don't understand a verse, what do we do? We go out to the passage. We, we, we try to expand it, read a little bit more. So if we read and we follow on the three verses, it says this, uh, Galatians 5, 1 to 4. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Then it says this, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. Okay, starting to make a little bit more sense. I say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Okay, now I, we understand a little bit more about what that first, first verse was saying about being free from slavery of the law, specifically circumcision. All the men say, yes, praise God. It's what it's speaking about today. You know what I mean? It's saying that. And so we read that and we understand that's what it's saying. For some reason, they're talking about circumcision. Why? Like, why is this being brought up? Well, let's go and look on a bigger scale. Let's look back. Let's go to the start of the book of Galatians. And here's what it says in Galatians 1, 6, 7. Paul says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to Himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. And so when we read that, we understand it says that Christ has set us free from the slavery of the law. Specifically, people trying to preach that we need to be circumcised to have a relationship with God. And then we find out that Paul says, wrong teachers. So now we understand the book of Galatians is about a letter written to people to say to them, hey, there are wrong, bad teachers in your midst. Don't listen to them. Listen to the gospel that I have preached. Be free. Be free from the law of Moses. Be free from all those things. It gives us greater understanding. That's why when we buy a book or a novel from a bookstore or we buy it from online on Amazon or something like that, we don't open the book at the middle of the book. Like if you ever brought a true detective book or a thriller or a romance novel, it's pretty lame, but whatever, you know. Have you ever brought something like that and open up right to the middle and gone, oh yeah, I'm going to start reading here in the middle. Do you do that? Come on, do you do that? I think some people here are going to say yes, because no one's saying no. Like, do you do that? So, come on, guys, I'm trying to ask you a question. <laughs> do you do that? You don't do that, do you? You read the book. You start at the start. Why do we do that? Because each word, each chapter, each passage gives meaning. It builds upon itself. The book, uh, you know, the author is trying to explain something. It builds up. There's an introduction. 
uh, you know, the premise of the book, the characters, uh, the, then it gets into the story, the plots. The, you know, a good book will have two or three plots. An even greater book will weave all those plots together at the end. There's a conclusion. That's what it's like when we read the Bible, guys. It's what it's like, like when we read the Bible. When we read the Bible, we need to read it in context of verse, paragraph, chapter, books. We need to read it in the way that God intended for us. But the problem is so many of us don't read the Bible like that. We grab a verse from Scripture, we get it out of context and we use that verse and we don't get the real meaning of it. Let me give you a, a fantastic uh, a verse here that we get out of context and I'm going off script here. And uh, this is a passage of Scripture verse that a lot of preachers love. A lot of preachers love this Scripture verse. It's Malachi 3.10. Do we know that one? It says, you know, along the lines of, uh, don't rob from God, bring your tithe to the tithe house. So I stand up here, I pull out Malachi 3.10, church, come on, you got to tithe, you're robbing God if you're not tithing. You know the context of Malachi? If you read the preceding uh, chapters, it's actually to the, uh, to the Levites. Do you know who the Levites were? They were men who assisted the priests in the temple worship. So these were guys, you could say that they were in ministry. Uh, they were on staff at Elevation Church. It was specifically written to men who had said to God, I want to serve you and minister to you. It wasn't written to the Israelites. That means if you come up here and start teaching that Malachi 3.10 for tithes, I'm not going to invite you to do tithes again because <laughs> you're wrong. It's not for the church. It's for people like me. They were robbing God, not the Israelites. And so this is why it's so important for us, church, that when we read Scripture, we get it in the historical context. Who was the writer? Who was the audience? The, the Levites, not the Israelites. You know, we get the cultural context of the time. Uh, instead of, you know, giving God a tithe, they were, uh, it was food. Their tithe was food. They were eating and keeping it for themselves. They weren't passing it on to the priest to help them. You know, all these types of things. And then there's also the literary context as we read Scripture. Today, as we finish today, you know, it hasn't been a huge rah-rah preach that I usually like to give. But today, I just want to say as we read Scripture, it's so important to understand context. It's so important as we read the Bible of God that we understand the historical context, we understand the, the cultural context, we understand the literary context, the author and the, and the audience, the, the customs and the norms of the time, the, the verses placement within a chapter or within a passage or a book. And here's what I believe. If we would read our Bible, and if, as we read it, we would say, hey God, as I read this passage of Scripture today, as I read it, you know, whether I read it, uh, several verses, a passage, a chapter, but as I read it and, and, and over many days, I pray, God, you would help me to understand who is, what is the historical context of what I'm reading? Uh, what's, the, what's the cultural context? Uh, what's the literary context of what I'm reading today? God, help me to understand it because as I understand that, I actually understand Scripture better. And here's what you need to know. As I understand Scripture better, do you know what? I actually start to understand my Heavenly Father better. Like as I know the Word better and what it actually means, not what I think it means or not what, you know, someone has said over many years for an alternative motive. But what it actually says, I actually get to understand, God, this is who You really are. As I really understand what your Scripture verse says. And I pray that that's how we approach our reading of the Bible this week. 
I hope that's how we approach our reading of the Word. God, let me understand your context. Let's pray today. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning as we're here today, Lord God. We just pray, Jesus, that You would just uh, uh, speak to us, that You would minister to us, God, through Your Bible.